You are listening to the Enormo Cast. In the past, the likelihood of me climbing with a full-on restrictive rain layer was about the same as me taking up yoga to improve my climbing. And let's just say, my chakras remain woefully disjointed. Instead, I usually just toss in a scant little thing that looks waterproofish, might be slightly water-resistant, but in a downpour becomes a clingy death cocoon that will suck the life out of you faster than watching a 10-year-old pad sniffer send your project after wolfing down a corn dog and a value pack of Skittles. But Black Diamond has the antidote for the stiff and crinkly rain layer, their new stretch rainwear. Stretchy, breathable, and waterproof. How do they do that? For all I know, it's coated in the tears of dejected sport climbers. The fully featured Stormline shell and the Zippier Fine Line both are made for climbing with gusseted pits, helmet-ready hoods, and they pack into a carabiner-ready pocket to clip to your harness and forget about until that first cold drop slaps your forehead. Check out the entire line of stretch rainwear at blackdiamondequipment.com or better yet, make sure it fits by trying it on at your favorite local shop. Does your neck hurt playing someone else's project? Does your partner get in way over his head even on the warm-ups? Does the phrase, I'll just do this move one more time, make your eyeballs spin? Then let Belay Specs fight for you. When my boyfriend started falling lower and lower on his project, Belay Specs saved my neck and got me a new boyfriend. Belayer neck pain, also known as BNP, can interfere with work, play, family, and snapping your head around at the gym to check out those abs. So if your neck has been injured in an epic belay session, go to belayspecs.com to see if you qualify for a pair of belay specs and to get what you deserve. Entry Normacast at checkout for a discount. Belay specs is not licensed to give legal advice to anyone. Results may vary by steepness. If belay specs cause you to trip, fall down, run into a door, nausea, dry mouth, you're probably too high to climb to begin with. We gotta get Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, are you playing here? We're doing the... Uh... The Normo Dome, whatever it is, it's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place outside of town. Very That's a big nice. place. You sold it. I'll see. You really should. Look, you better get up there before you panic. Those pens are loose. You're very good. I have really enjoyed having with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, with support from Maxim Ropes. And the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Normacast. This is your host, Chris Galoose. It is June 25th, 2018, about 10 o'clock here in Colorado, and this is episode 153 of the Normacast, a conversation with ice climber, rock climber, but don't call her an alpinist, Janet Wilkinson, who spent the first half of her climbing career as Janet Bergman, her family name. Her maiden name. Do we still say maiden name? That sounds so clunky and weird in 2018. The poor little maiden who couldn't become anything until her husband came along and gave her a new name. A rather outdated notion, especially in climbing. Nevertheless, Janet Bergman, Janet Wilkinson, same person on the show today. We'll get to her in a minute. But today I want to take a minute to talk a little bit about the commercials, about sponsorship, and about you guys. Um, I always appreciate when I get a note from a listener, which I get a fair few that talk about how they actually enjoy the commercials. And, you know, that's always been what I've been going for, trying to do something strange, funny, that I think's funny anyway. They probably all don't always seem that funny to you guys. Um, but, you know, go out there on a limb a little bit with the commercials and do something unexpected is really kind of the game that I try to play. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes they become classic in my mind, um, I'm also, I don't know if anybody's noticed, but I try to drop really bizarre and obscure cultural references into them as well. I'm, I guess I'm just trying to like get you guys to listen and the true aficionados of the show 
to uh, to listen closely to the commercials occasionally. The big title sponsors, Sportiva, Black Diamond, those two companies have been on board almost since the beginning. And you know, regardless of what the numbers told them about what their advertising was maybe doing, and I say maybe because you know it's all kind of voodoo magic when there's no coupon code or anything to fi- figure out if it's actually doing anything, if it's actually compelling anybody to buy anything. And you know, there's what I think, there's what they think, and it all comes together into those guys continuing to support the Enormacast, and I totally appreciate it. But I also wanted to mention the fact that they have a pretty good amount of respect for you guys because what the Enormacast has is what is called a core audience, and meaning that you guys are in the sport. And of course, all those companies, especially that sell apparel like Sportiva and Black Diamond do, you know, they want to sell gear to everybody, you know, moms and truck drivers and, you know, the occasional gang member. It's a gold mine. They're also still really dedicated to making sure that the core members of the sport are still choosing their gear. They want that representation as well. And whenever I talk to those folks about the audience here, they're the ones who talk about you guys being the core audience. So anyway, I don't know why I brought that up today. I just had a little time here, I think, with this one not being quite as long as the last few have been. And uh, again, sponsorship makes this thing happen. I do my best to keep the commercials not boring, not just like reading copy from the companies. And they've allowed me to do that. Sometimes I wonder if I've gone too far, but I never hear anything. Adam Andra's handlers still haven't gotten in touch with me to tell me to stop making up stories about him. And of course, my philosophy is to make sure and keep the smaller guys around like Belay Specs, Peter Gilroy, Bonfire, some of the others that have come and gone just to, uh, I don't know, keep it real. The kids still say that, keeping it real. Yeah, that's part of the philosophy as well. And, you know, if I could go it alone, just donations and uh, some wealthy patron, I would. But I think we've got a good balance here with all that stuff. Maybe not quite day job balance, but, uh, you know, Toyota, I'm for sale. Hit me up. Okay, Janet Wilkinson, another climber woman trying to have it all, family, career, climbing, everything. Also another great role model. Funny thing about these great role models is that they oftentimes aren't as uh, well-known as some of the more media-savvy or hooked-up climbers out there, but uh, she's getting it done up there in the Northeast. Well-known up there, well-known, again, to aficionados of the sport, and also well-known as part of the Team Wilkinson. And uh, Freddie was on a few episodes ago. I got this one a couple days later while I was up there in North Conway back in February. So hasn't aged. It's uh, it's pretty pertinent because we talk big, big ideas. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy this one and are also inspired to try to have it all. Oh, and here's another commercial. Try not to laugh yourself off the road. If there's one thing the Italians understand about this world, it's that if something ain't Baroque, don't fix it. And that's why Sportiva has faithfully kept its tried-and-true venerable classics in the line. The Mira, the Solution, and the Testarossa still outperform the latest flash-in-the-pan shoes out there. And they're also still built in a European monastery by silent septuagenarian craftsmen who may or may not be lawfully entitled to six smoke breaks a day. So when it comes to shoe performance, what's it going to be, the latest or the greatest? Personally, I'll go with the greatest every time. So check out both the latest and the greatest at Sportiva.com or your favorite local shop. Sportiva is a proud sponsor of the Enormacast. You know, I was doing my, my five minutes, my... You know, patented five minutes of research. Although yeah. it went deeper with you once you uh, <laughs> once you told me what your family name was. <laughs> your name changed. What? How? What, when did you get married? Um, I got married in two thousand one, okay. and then changed my name in two thousand three. Oh, okay. So, oh, yeah. all right. So pretty recently. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So it hadn't. So there's there's two two of you out there on the yeah. internet I'm googling you and you know we went back to an article which we can discuss a little bit later if you're into it but the one thing I remember from that is there was a line in it that said that it was about a group of of you and your friends climbing mm-hmm. um, in the desert in Yosemite all these different places and mm-hmm. you were sort of the leader and maybe the most experienced and it said that 
uh, you know, Janet was even thinking of becoming a pro climber, I think is the exact line. <laughs> yeah. um, so can you talk to me about who you were at that moment as a climber, uh, your, maybe your evolution to get there, and then we can maybe talk about 10 years later or however long it was yeah. um, to, to, to get to this point. Yeah, sure. So um, that article, that the time period of that article was 2003. It would have been the year after I graduated from college. Um, I had skipped lots of classes during college to come climbing in North Conway and met lots of fun people and uh, just kind of fell deep into the climbing lifestyle and the, the movement of the sport. And uh, I think I, I really wanted to, well, I this has been like the story of my life, this like conflict between wanting to be serious and really do good in the world and loving being physical and having adventures. And so climbing helped to pull me in that direction of having adventures and having fun. And uh, I think that I, I, I fell into it though during that time. This wasn't that long ago, 2003, so... 14, 15 years ago, it was really easy for a female to to get paid to go climbing. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily to collect a salary, but to live the lifestyle and get supported doing it. So, right. So uh, paid in the sense of your your trips being paid for exactly. and a little bit of money to make sure there's gas in the tank and yep. whatnot. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, easy grants from the American Alpine Club or companies that are interested in sending people out. And, um, and so it it made the decision to move into my car and and live the climbing lifestyle a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, added to that, when I moved back to New Hampshire after that trip, uh, I was hired basically climbing unseen, sight unseen by a climbing school because they were so desperate for a female climbing instructor to mm-hmm. teach ice climbing and rock climbing. And so I could just jump right into like climbing, doing you know, doing everything for me. Did you, did you have a perspective on that at the, in the moment? I did, you know, like, Oh, this is working out well for me, but here I am, you know, I am a woman and this is why it's working out for me. Cause sometimes those perspectives come later, especially when you're young, you may not have like a, like a global kind of look at it like that. Yeah. I think the perspective has developed more over time, but I was very much aware of it. And, uh, and I thought it was, I, I knew it was unfair that like I was getting a lot of opportunities that an average male climber probably wasn't, and uh, and I took advantage of them. Right. For sure. I mean, unfair. Yeah. Is, you know, like you're making up for, you know, I'd, like uh, centuries of the yeah. opposite happening. So, yeah. Like, you're I mean, benefiting a little bit, but I mean, you know, as far as climbing is like know. a dominant culture sport, right? It's <laughs> right, about right. like white, well-off men. Right. So I certainly didn't mind that, right, but right. I was very yeah. aware of it and mm-hmm. even more so over time. Right. So, yeah. So now you're in, in, in New, back in New Hampshire guiding. Mm-hmm. The other thing I'd say about that, that maybe is also a bit of perspective of the time is that, you know, that was a moment when, the AMGA actually, if about, I mean, I stopped guiding in 2000. Um, and so that decade was when they established themselves. Mm-hmm. And a lot of schools were still not, I mean, accreditation or any sort of certification from them was not required. Correct. Like the yeah. way it, most of the time it is now. So it's not like you were, you know, getting this total hoop to jump through. Yeah. Because, you know, I never did anything to certify and I got it for seven years up until 2000 oh, right. and they were around and they were like accrediting schools and yes but you could still definitely work male or female without any yeah. of those certifications if you just showed that you could climb and that you were trainable trainable and, the and, and itself, committed to yeah. the and the school the itself field. would then give yeah. you their version of training and some sure. of those old schools That's even exactly what it was you know at first gave the finger to the MGA to say like uh, we we've been doing this for years. Like, yeah, we can train our guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, you know? exactly. So, anyway, I just put that in perspective. Yeah. It's not like you just like sure swam through it all without sure, any. That's you know, true. The way a guy might have had to stick it at that point. Yeah, and I would say the op or it's no longer the case either. For sure. I don't care, you know what no matter what you are gender now. or yeah, yeah some, ethnicity or some whatever. New yeah, things you got to deal with. So. Right. Anyway, right. so yeah, sorry. Back to the yeah the scene here in in North Conway and what you were up to. So yeah, I uh, 
I had these opportunities, I had these interests in seeing the world, and um, I had learned to climb from people who had the right values, and I just wanted to dive deeper into it. And so I did, did end up a semi-pro athlete. I don't think I was ever fully on board with it being 100% of what I did, but um, it, it was really fun to get into the cycle of like a couple expeditions every year and trying to uh, train and climb as hard as I could, and, and, uh, and it, was, it was really fun to dabble in that for about a decade from my 20s into my early 30s. So you, uh, what you just said reminded me of something um, that Heidi Wirtz said in that you had you you said something about the right values, which I'm kind of kind of want to get into with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, and I, and I can kind of imagine what some of those are, especially you know knowing the the, the reputation and vibe up here in, in New England about climbing. And do you think that those values then maybe were part of the reason you didn't you know really go for that? Like I'm going to promote myself, become this true professional athlete because Heidi came from Crested Butte Mm -hmm. which is basically like our climbing version of one of these little communities up here in Colorado like it's definitely staunch in the yeah in the the tradition and in a lot of ways you know she had to kind of like go against this grain she'd been taught to Mm -hmm. become a North Face athlete and self-promoted and and though she said that her community was proud of her they also gave her a ton of shit about it just yeah. in passing. Do you, I mean, did that play into that at all in terms of like, oh, now I'm here and... Yeah. I mean, to push into professional climbing means you have to really start yeah. basically talking about yourself all the time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it, a reason I chose to live here is that humble, do it, don't say it kind of attitude. And um, and so it was, it was certainly a struggle as... I headed down that path of, uh, as, as we just talked about needing to promote yourself and tell your stories and share your photos and document your trips. Um, it, it became harder and harder to like really love doing that as, as, uh, as it came at odds with the reasons I like to live here. So yeah, tell me a little bit about those values when you said this community was teaching you what you called the right values. So... Some of them would be the the value of inclusion. I think that uh, this community particularly has many generations of climbers and um, climbers at all levels. And uh, I was welcomed in as an amateur. Um, like one of my first mentors was Tim Kempel. And he just dragged me along and like, and he encouraged me on my first scary trad leads and um helped me break through as as a boulderer and um and you know I was nothing special really but just a fun friend who we'd party together every weekend in college too you know and uh similarly up here in North Conway like the the multi uh sport climbers who could who went mountaineering and ice climbing and uh you know endurance athletes and rock climbers and sport climbers on top of it would draw me in and kind of show me the tools of the trade and so that inclusivity is the main one Mm -hmm. um and the lack of competitiveness i'm actually by nature a very competitive person i grew up uh competitive horseback riding and that the uh, the drive to win mm-hmm. is something that didn't was not healthy for me. So getting away from that and into more of the like need to have fun and just enjoy each other's company and go and uh, and enjoy the sport and the the nature of this place is is what really uh, brought me into it. So when you say it wasn't healthy for you, it wasn't healthy for you because it drew, it like drew that part of you out yeah. in, in a, what you perceived afterwards to be a negative way. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. So you have this tendency and that just was like a addiction that fed it. Yeah. And you needed to probably to be a complete human. Maybe you needed to get away from that. For sure. Okay. And interestingly, I, the, when I was in college, they had this like, 
uh, intercollegiate climbing competitions, and I would I got really into those for a while and fully fed that side of me and loved it and did really well at it. But it was you know I I felt myself getting pulled in that direction mm-hmm. that I just didn't like like myself there so okay um so I can use my yeah. like physical and uh analytical capacities in climbing in a way that is not unhealthy for myself not necessarily of use to the world that's a whole another story but mm-hmm. um but it's been a much better way for me to have those outlets that I like yeah it's interesting you say that because it does make me think about I mean I, I know a lot of people who who reject the competition side of climbing mm-hmm. like literally aren't interested in doing it um or are interested in it at all but at the same time you know I, i've always talked about how like there's still this either underlying com- competition between people and climbing mm-hmm. or it becomes this sometimes healthy sometimes healthy c- competition with yourself or right. you know you're you're you know you're disappointed in yourself at times in a way that's you know, really negative and really counterproductive. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like you have these battles going on inside anyway. Yeah. You know? But yeah, I mean, I think people like me just will always have those battles yeah. going on. inside. Well, it's yeah. better for having friends, though, if it's internal. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. If nobody knows it's going on, it's fine. You know, um, and there's plenty of places in climbing where it's it's going on overtly as well but yeah it's funny one of the things is like i keep hearing tim kempel and i need to talk to tim someday and but i mean you guys could have like a convention of, who, <laughs> of people who's he he's like helped out in climbing i it's know in, it's, it's insane it's, it's like really what he insane yeah. like he's he's i don't think anyone would describe him as like a charitable guy necessarily Mm -hmm. he's like hardcore businessman but he is a connector and a networker Mm -hmm. and he understands people and uh and he introduced me to my best friend and he's like helped me he helped me solidify my love of climbing and i give him a lot of credit and and uh i'll forever be grateful for it so yeah back to this article which is uh it was actually really what it was called what babes on belay babes on belay and uh, it was 2004, or so Outside Magazine. Yeah. Um, and I, when, I, when I was researching today, and we had a little text back and forth about it, um, I was like, I remember this article. And then I think my next text was like, wow, this really is awkward now. You read it in like 2018. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, the, the, the gist of it was these women, you know, breaking free of boyfriends and <laughs> male influence. And, and so I can imagine that, you know, the, the author or whatever was... was you know, thought it was like this real positive women message. And I think it's also difficult to read it now with the same perspective, even 12 years later or 15 years later, whatever. Yeah. Um, Because it just feels like it's so clunky in terms of how you guys were portrayed. Mm -hmm. Um, Because it's still this underlying message of like, you know, most women don't and most women can't and most, you know, and you guys were like rah, rah, rah. Totally. And it's just so normal now that it just seems strange but then i started to think about it and it's like you know at in the in the trad world anyway and then moving into alpinism it it actually was really unusual Mm -hmm. to see a group of women just women out on these long road trips together being a guy Mm -hmm. you know we are on the lookout for these sorts of things (laughs) you know and i always joke like in indian creek where you walk around the camping loop you know it's almost like guys will meet you out in front of the in front of the campsite you know just to keep you away you know because you feel like you're on the prowl and that's just the reality of it like you know men have always wished there were more women in climbing Mm -hmm. um and uh but anyways women exactly (laughs) it's the whole thing so let me ask you about that trip though aside from that article and it's and it's sort of um portrayal of you guys you know you went you said you climbed here a lot in college and then that that seems to be this this like you know regardless of the article being written about it this kind of very important trip maybe in your Mm -hmm. evolution Mm -hmm. am i reading into that or i mean you went out and and did some rad stuff but then you came back you know yeah i mean it was I, I think the article portrays it as a little more of a turning point than it oh, was really? for maybe us. Yeah, imagine <laughs> you mean that. a journalist kind yeah. of found more <laughs> than was actually there, but yeah, sorry. <laughs> um, it was like, 
it, it, what I will say is it was like the time after college when everyone's like deciding, like, do I mm-hmm. go traditional and like get a five day 40 and like do what my parents want me to do? Or can I like give this other lifestyle a try? So I think that's where like all of us were in that moment. Cause we were all the same age, all of the women who were in that story. And I think Liz, the author probably was, attracted to me as a character because I was pretty decided on trying out that lifestyle mm. for however long it worked for me, basically. And, While, oh, you know, sorry. the other women were maybe undecided or had other other plans. And it was Anne and Shana, you, and there was four and of Sarah them. Sarah Garlic. Oh, Sarah Garlic. Yeah. Well, it's rad. I mean, all of those people are still... They're still my closest friends and, like... And banging it out and as climbers. And doing amazing yeah. things, yeah. yeah. I mean, among other things. For sure, yeah. Um, and, and have, you know, some name in, in the community. Totally. So that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're, we're all lifers. And, um, and so she got that right in picking yeah. the characters, I guess. Yeah, totally. So yeah. Um, there was a point at which you seem like, you know, primarily focused on rock climbing. Mm-hmm. And obviously, if you're up here, you just have to go out and climb cold things as well Mm -hmm. uh but so when can you talk about a a switch into alpinism yeah Uh, because the the wilkinson side of of (laughs) of the internet search is all about that yeah (laughs) it's funny which is again like you said post 2003 is when your name changed and so talk a little bit about switching into that and how natural that was and what your new motivations were in that realm yeah um so my, I mean, the, I guess the a little bit longer story involves Sarah Garlic, who mm-hmm. was in that article. And that time. trip was like preparing us for our first Alpine expedition to uh, Peru to climb Las Vinhe. And uh, it went really well. We, it, it's an Alpine rock climb. Mm-hmm. Um, we, it's like a one day, you know, five, nine, five, ten climb. And that really, the, the regular route on okay. Las Vinhes, right. yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's way up there, so it's, like, weeks to get up into the mountains right. and prepare for mm-hmm. it. But um, What altitude? It's, like, it tops out really high, too, doesn't pretty it? Pretty high, like yeah. 19,000, 20,000 right. feet, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty high. Maybe 18,000. That'll, yeah. that'll yeah. give you a headache. Yeah, anyway. for sure. <laughs> and it was interesting, and it was hard, and we both loved it. So that was, um, and we did it manless as Miriam Underhill would say right and and we loved that and so that was what really got me interested in uh in taking trips for climbing mm-hmm. um and so I'm not and never really have been an alpinist I like ice climb and mountaineer to to have the skills to be in the mountains, but I'm really an alpine rock climber. Okay. Um, and so my evolution went from like climbing established routes in Patagonia over a few seasons and that trip to Peru to uh, doing first ascents. Okay. But still, all of the first ascents I did were alpine rock climbs, really. Okay. Yeah. I think. Um, and so, I yeah, know. I mean, it, I guess it counts still. It counts. Um, and. Uh, you have to be wet and cold. As long as you're wet and cold, as long at as one you're wet point, and cold you're, and you're willing to carry a bunch climbing. of shit around, yeah. it's like yeah, it's the it all counts, right? That makes yeah. It climbing, I think. <laughs> but it's a funny thing. I think I like found my wall, liter- a literal wall to uh, alpinism was that like I didn't like carrying a big backpack, mm-hmm. and I don't know if it being smaller framed or uh, just that like gear is heavier when you're when you don't weigh as much or whatever um or the like the lack of other women to get out there with Mm -hmm. or the uh the mental game and i think that's become more and more a thing for me in in recent years but um i really don't feel like i ever gave myself the chance to be a true alpinist because i i just like to uh put my backpack down when I do technical climbing. Right. Yeah. And what do you mean by the mental game? Um, I kind of joke that like in my late twenties, I think my prefrontal 
cortex like finished developing and I suddenly like couldn't climb as scary as stuff anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't I don't know if that's it. Um, but I, I think that like alpinism requires a ability to take on risk and uh, even ignore it. And I was less and less willing to do that over time. You know, it's interesting because this is a climbing podcast. So yeah. Climbers, we, we kind of like most of us are listening to you and can tell the difference between what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And yet it, a little bit less experience or a little bit more of a layman would be like, well, what do you mean you're climbing these giant rock roots? Like, isn't there risk involved? Yeah. And so you're talking about the the kind of objective things that come with going into the big mountains, the, the, um, maybe like the conditions causing things to fall down. And yep. I mean, that, that's the game you're talking that's about. That's part within. of it. And yeah. also the, um, you know, being multiple days up a, okay. a big face where, you know, you, you're a normal person is going to think, wow, like if something happens up here, mm-hmm. a broken leg could mean death. And like uh, most people who do well at alpinism probably don't let themselves think about that. But uh, I find myself thinking about those things <laughs> for sure. So in the context of that, what were some of the goals uh, that you achieved in, you know, thinking about that, you're, you're moving into your late 20s, you say mm-hmm. things are changing in your mind a little bit about what you want to do regardless mm-hmm. of the risk. What were some of the things that you were doing then in the end, in yeah. those last few years of your twenties? Yeah. And, um, and your focus. Well. And this is where like, I feel like, a, I'm, uh, not, uh, I don't know why I was seen as like a professional climber. Cause I like what I really loved doing, I kept getting like paid to do. And that was to like, go to the South coast of Newfoundland and like research really cool, rock faces that have never been climbed and like camp on the beach and go climb them. And they were like five, 10 climbs, <laughs> you know, yeah, like but... it's not, that, <laughs> it wasn't that exciting, but like, that's the stuff I love to do. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> the thing is, is that uh, we were just, we just talked earlier. I was it on before I started, I can't remember about like, uh, Oh, it was before we started actually, but we were talking about the, the professional climber and, and how that shifted so much of what it means and what's required of them. Yeah. And uh, I think you're, that's funny because I think that's, you're straddling that, mm-hmm. that shift. Mm-hmm. I and, am. Yeah, you're right. We, when I was in, you know, starting out or actually when I started out, there wasn't really much of a professional climber, but it seemed as though it was just like the best climbers. If you were really great, you were going to get a, right. a contract. But, um, you know, but the, as you were talking about that, there was no point at which I gave a shit how hard the climb was. Cause yeah. I was like, New Finland walls camping on the beach. <laughs> like that sounds like a great story. Yeah. And who, yeah. you know, okay. So it was five, nine big deal or it was five, right. 10 or five, right. you know, at no point was I like, well, how hard was the route? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. the story. Sure. Yeah. So it's, it's funny. Cause I, I just keep going back to this idea that you're up here. You're not supposed to talk about yourself. You're supposed <laughs> to be humble. And, and frankly, like there's been these, these little things you, you've said through this whole thing so far, you know, I'll go and edit them out and put them on a tape for you. But it's like, ah, oh, you know, I wasn't that good. And I wasn't this. So. And it's just, it's part of like the scene up here. Um, yeah. I think. And, and, but that sounds like a fascinating story. Yeah. You know, to me. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah. That was like one of my favorite trips and right. it was with two girlfriends also. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, who, we who had was on that? Sarah Garlic mm-hmm. and Kirsten Kramer mm-hmm. who lives up in Alaska. And, so uh, how important was it? Because we should get into this. Yeah. You know, it's clearly important, actually. So how important was it that you were doing these trips with your close girlfriends? Yeah. You're married at this point. Yeah. Uh, to Freddie. Yeah. A, you know, excellent, awesome climber. And I'm sure climbing with him, you know, a, as a couple. Yeah. But you're going on these trips and, you know, clearly you're like, yeah. let's do this it's together insane. as women right. on these trips. So tell me about how important that is to you, if it remains important, and then what, why, what you get out of that. Yeah. Um, I'll start with an anecdote about the rules of high camp. This okay. was my first season in Patagonia. It was uh, 2005, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, Fred, the objective was that Freddie and I would go with 
uh, he had two partners and I had two partners and we'd go and share base camp. This was when Bridwell camp was still going on. And uh, so we set up this huge base camp and like fortified it with food for six weeks and then just sat and partied and waited for the weather. And when the weather came, it was the fateful Christmas window. And I had my two girl partners, Sarah Garlic and Kirsten Kramers, and he had his boy partners, um, Paul Tarecki and Dave Sherritt, I think, maybe Taki Miyamoto. I think there were four of them. And uh, we got up to camp and it was kind of blowing, like the the weather system was like mm-hmm. blowing out and the good weather was coming in. And it was like my first time up there and I was all nervous and like we set up our tents and in high camp everyone like shares much smaller tents and then we were gonna like go off we like were could like be in the same high camp and then we were gonna go off and climb different mountains the next morning. And I was a little nervous and like kinda wanted to lean on Freddie a little bit as my boyfriend at the time. And I like took him aside and I was like, I'd really like it if we could sleep in a tent tonight together. And he said Mm-mm. Like, this is high camp. This is, we sleep with our partners now. <laughs> right. And so that was like a good wake up call for me. Like, OK, like there's different relationships that like we all are going to deal with here. And like from then on, we actually like really enjoyed traveling together and finding places where we could like share camps, but like go and do different things. So that's admirable on his part, though, because that's a risky that yeah, a, that was a risky game. I think he probably knew me pretty well, but it was risky. If you, you guys risky. weren't married yeah. yet, you know, it's like, uh, yeah. I mean, if you guys are, you know, known, knew each, known each other and were very tight at that point, maybe right. not so much. But, right. But definitely, I don't know. I, don't, I think any relationship could be strained by, yeah. you know, if it wasn't quite the right time to right. lay down that law. Being at high camp right. together, let alone right. laying down the law like that. Yeah, but so. um, Well, that's cool, but, but it worked yeah, out. Yeah, so you, it you worked out. And, and like throughout my climbing career like not only do I love climbing with women but I love planning trips where like we can enjoy the travel and fun part of it and Mm -hmm. then can go and do our own thing as well Mm -hmm. and Freddie and I've done a lot of climbing together um as well and and I really enjoyed that too and I hope we'll do a lot more of it in the future um but yeah I think I just he's like a true traditional alpinist and I'm more like a day rock climb big you know mountain climber right and so that's okay yeah we we can both do that yeah because he he mentioned to me that you know as far because i asked him sort of what his strengths are he thinks and why like he makes a good partner is a question i I ask a lot of people but he mentioned how yeah you know a lot of people get super cranky sitting around waiting he's really good and he's really good at waiting and it (laughs) sounds like maybe you're not so much Yeah, so maybe those things can be done at at separate times. Yeah. Um, So other part of my question, uh, which is is one I ask women a lot that that make it a a very strong point to climb with other women. What do you think for you personally, aside from them being your close friends, Mm -hmm. um, although you can talk about that too, Mm -hmm. specifically what makes them the people you want to climb with. But if you think about it on this issue that is so prevalent in society right now um the, these gender questions and, it, and it's you know it's been on the sort of tip of people's tongues for a couple of few years strongly in climbing mm-hmm. i mean it has always been there but it's been i feel like lately so what do you think is the power of it or the interest of it for you or yeah. the difference yeah you know, and maybe you you specifically seek it out sometimes and other times not yeah um it's it's funny. I've thought a lot about this, and I don't think I really have the answer. Um, I know them being good friends of mine is important because I, I only like to go on trips with people I like really, really like mm-hmm. hanging out with. Um, but I also think that there's uh, like generalized characteristics of like sensitivity and like willingness to share with women that is it's a it just helps women to include each other and uh, succeed together to when both uh, or all of the partners have those characteristics. I think mm-hmm. that um, when I climb with Freddie, for better or worse, like he's a stronger climber and a little less like patient and sensitive to like the right thing to say to me for me to like go and like do that hard lead. Mm-hmm. 
whereas like my girlfriends it like is off the tip of their tongue like how to challenge me like use the like comp- you know to help to encourage me to be competitive or to encourage me to like uh just go give it a try or whatever mm-hmm. um so it for my girl climbing partners that's just uh those are the characteristics that they just tend to have that some some of my guy partners don't do you I think, think it's there's like uh you know you just said that they they encourage you to be competitive this thing that you said you found a little bit um maybe negative in yeah. your personality do you think there's like a a validation coming from them when they you know, encourage that part of you, you're maybe allowed to like crack the door open yeah, exactly. in a way that, that you would be worried about in, in other positions. Yeah. yeah, I think so. Um, and if Freddie said the same things they said to me, mm-hmm. like I wouldn't hear it the same either. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, but I, that's like, that's clouded by, by, uh, you know, him the, being your the significant dynamic. other. Yeah, yeah because of course. I wrote down here on my little notes here, I said no SOs because, um, this is a completely different realm, but as the enormous cast, you know, like we, I have a couple really good friends that we go on these to climbing festivals with and stuff yeah. like Lander and whatnot. And, and we always invite guys and girls and, but that's our rule. Like yeah. you can come, but your husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend can't come yep. in our group because it just like, it changes we, everything. We just, you're going to be a unit and it'll be totally. us. So if you want to be, if you want to go, yeah. we're not going to stop you and we're going to hang out with you, but you're going to be in your own car and like on your own program. And, and it's just cause it like, and as a guide too, I remember guiding couples and it's just, it's like, there's something, something happening. So that is not necessarily gender based. Yeah. That brings up another thing for sure. I think that, um, it comes back to the friend thing. Like Mm -hmm. I've been really lucky that my life, my climbing life i've had lifelong climbing partners mm-hmm. so i've i've uh just not had the benefit of mm-hmm. experiencing like climbing with a lot of dudes or like a lot of other women for that matter right so maybe this so whole just, conversation yeah. is irrelevant to those, right. those like, issues because yeah. you ha- you don't have like a data set right exactly <laughs> outside of just they happen to be your friends right. guy or a girl right right so what other goals I, I we mentioned that and then we got off on these tangents so mm-hmm. tell me a little bit more I don't you know th- we tend to not just go down resume but more in context of uh, the evolution of a, a, as a climber mm-hmm. you know realizing that pure alpinism not necessarily your thing so mm-hmm. what were some of the other goals as you kind of ended your 20s and, and approached to where you are now yeah um, so like what kind of what was I up to yeah, as a climber during that time? Yeah, um, I did a lot of Yosemite time. Mm-hmm. I've climbed El Cap a bunch and um, enjoyed that. I had a, I got to do nose in a day. That was a a really big one and a, a surprisingly easy one to do because I did it big wall style like the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd I'd really love to get back to Yosemite and do more time with the like big wall free climbing and and uh speed climbing thing mm-hmm. um for expeditions i went to i've done several seasons in patagonia nothing part in uh the argentine side uh nothing particularly like huge or notable i think actually one of my favorite uh climbs in patagonia was the red pillar on mermoz with a dude zach schlosar so that was one of few like mountains i've climbed with someone who wasn't like one of my best friends right because my partners were all like doing different things that day on that weather window um what's special about that place for you i mean i guess it fits it fits your mo exactly like I might have to jump across some snow, but let me yeah. rock climb for a bit. Yeah, like low altitude, right. amazing granite rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful spires and, and a ton of fun. The the culture, the Argentine culture is just awesome. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd go every winter if I could. And your lifestyle at this point is is being supported by, and we're talking, we're still late 20s. Still late twenties, yeah. You still guiding? I'm guiding a bit, mm-hmm. um, and that would be seasonal. So mm-hmm. you know, ice climbing, mountaineering in the winter, and rock climbing in the summer. Traveling in like spring and fall usually, um, and I supplemented that with uh, 
working with nonprofit organizations as an independent contractor doing uh, um, fundraising work and strategic planning work and uh, stuff like that. And that kind of fed the side of me that like needed to be given back to the world too. So that continues to this day as well. Um, so those were kind of the two things that were earning me money plus right. like little mini salaries from sponsors. Uh-huh. Um, and then I, I or- tried to organize at least one like larger exploratory trip uh, most years from my late 20s to early 30s. So um, two trips to India, to the Karakoram. Um, one was with uh, Freddie and Ben Ditto and Pat Goodman to um, Manakar and Spires. That was actually a really fun trip. It was my first big like Himalaya expedition and we went extremely lightweight. We didn't organize a uh, it was uh, sub 7,000 meter peaks. And so we didn't have to organize a liaison officer or a trekking mm-hmm. agency or anything. And um, we were able to just like pick this mountain from a postcard and go and find it and like find a hiking trail to it through like all these hash fields and uh, goat tracks and stuff. And then climb the mountain on site in a couple of days, summiting, uh, summiting and uh, bivying on top. It was a really fun, like, just a dream trip a a really cool way to do a first ascent what was the nature of the climbing uh rock climbing snowy rock climbing it was it was uh unfortunately the weather was terrible the whole time it was uh, 2008 i think Uh which was a really really bad summer in uh the himalaya but we were able to still do it Mm -hmm. just kind of in a push at the very end um and no other climbing besides that one mountain Um, I went back to India a few years later in 2011 and had kind of an opposite experience. Uh, I glommed on to Mark Ritchie's trip to go try Sasser Kangri 2, which was the second highest unclimbed peak in the world. And he, I think he really wanted Freddie to join. So he invited me to get a women a, another a team of women to go do our own climbs he oh, knew right. me and that i like to do that so we uh put together our own little like mini objective list and went and did that while the guys were getting ready for the bigger peak and we had uh we had a nice time but i was pretty turned off by the more traditional expedition mentality of like tons of porters and like this whole like militaristic pyramid of like moving food and like having to pay tons of money and British tea time every afternoon and getting cooked for every meal. And like, I got, I got really turned off by that whole deal. Um, and realized like big expedition stuff wasn't going to be for me. So that was like one of the, that was the last like big expedition I took was that British tea time. So that means like, that's part of their culture, so everything stops. Yeah, like, like in order stop, we yeah, all stop. Um, and, yeah, and, I particularly remember it just like the trek up the valley. It's like a five day, very slow trek up the valley mm-hmm. to gain altitude and like not get sick. And they'd be like running days ahead of us and like setting up tents for right. us and like. You'd arrive, you'd have like this like five pound backpack on and like just be like looking at wildflowers all day and like arrive in camp at like 3 p.m. and there'd be tea and cookies waiting for you. And it just wasn't my deal. It just didn't, yeah. it didn't sit well. Yeah. It's like somebody <laughs> pumping your gas for you. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, can do that. <laughs> I can take care of this. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of the, the end of my big expedition dreams and, uh, and, that you know that's when i kind of wanted to go more towards the like south coast of newfoundland rock climbing things or if i organize expeditions go on to like more like the manicar inspire like find a cool mountain that's less than seven thousand mm-hmm. meters mm-hmm. that we don't have to do all this weird permitting and have all these weird rules for and so how important are first ascents to you when you go on these trips I mean, I have I haven't been on a important first ascent trip for a long time, probably mm-hmm. like five or six years. But uh, there, it makes climbing really fun and interesting for mm-hmm. sure. Um, it's a little bit scary and intimidating too. Right. But uh, but yeah, I'd say that's like the ideal for me is to be able to do that to find mountains that uh, that 
like suit my style and strengths and and sit and wait for the conditions to be right and be able to go give it my best shot mm-hmm. it's really really fun right um yeah so now we're getting up to date a little bit mm-hmm. um we we you talked about grant writing or this idea of uh you know s- suddenly not suddenly it was probably always there but saying okay it's time to give back and you know not just be this selfish climber yeah um and you even made i think just some comment about you know climbing doesn't really doesn't really help much yeah <laughs> but um w- what are you talking about there what is it that you're doing sort of more or have done in that realm more specifically yeah um so i've been really lucky in that i could do that work on as an independent contractor and mm-hmm. take on projects for shorter periods of time helping uh or one of the organizations is uh kismet rock foundation Mm -hmm. it does uh it takes um kids from all over northern new england brings them here to north conway for a week at a time for a a week every summer for four years provides mentorship and a climbing education um i spent a lot of time like from 2008 no, like 2005 to 2011, helping them to grow and expand their programs and uh, raise money and uh, improve, you know, improve the uh, policies and procedures for uh, being able to take more kids out and uh, and develop a curriculum Mm -hmm. to have the education part of it work really well. Um, And that is Really, it was a really fun way to feel like climbing was actually doing something for me. Right. Um, and then most of the rest of the organizations I've worked with are not climbing related. They're just doing things in the world to help people or help the environment or both. Right. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that maybe more important? Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel. It's like, you I know, think, like, yeah. I think it was like around the time of that, like 2011, 2012, that like, I was like 32 years old, you know, like time is going really fast. And like as a seasonal climber, it goes really, really fast when the, uh, when life is just focused on like planning and then doing and then telling the stories of it. And uh, I just felt like I, I wanted to focus more on this other side of my life that mattered. And mm-hmm. and then like having a kid, right. like that really crystallized that for me. Yeah. What so. year? She's um, two, right? Or almost two. She's two. She was born February 2016. Right. I had two miscarriages before okay. that. So it was, a, it was years. Yeah. Right. And hard. Yeah. <laughs> and Pretty hard. hard. Yep. A lot of times I get like, you know, we go some big questions about the meaning of climbing and everything else. Yeah. And, and uh, it's kind of, you know, when we're in these communities, North Conway, where I live, the climbing communities, it's just unspoken that climbing is amazing and great and yeah. good for you and makes you a better person and mm-hmm. all these things. It's just like we just all sort of tacitly agree upon that. But in in the in the capacity of dealing with kismet, is that what it was called? Yep. Um, you're probably tasked with actually trying to explain it yeah. to people <laughs> as to why we should get kids climbing and right. why it would be good for them and all those sorts of things. So what, what is your, yeah. What's what our elevator speech with that? Yeah. What's yeah. Your pitch, you know? um, Cause we're, it's something we're always, I think kind of grasping for, especially you're 33. And you're like, wow, I just spent my, you know, the last 15 years being yeah. a climber. Like, what do I have? Right. I'm exactly. 47. I'm like, what yeah. do I have? Yeah. Like, what have I gotten from this? So. Yeah. Um, well, I credit the founder of Kismet Rock Foundation with uh, having spent a lot of time doing that. His name is Mike Jewell, and he's a bit of a climber philosopher, mm-hmm. uh, like concert pianist, a really interesting, eccentric guy. And he he uh, he sees like the he he explains it as the multi-dimensional aspects of uh, that that create benefit from a climbing education and it's this like physical challenge the like the ability to learn about real and perceived risk um the uh inherent lessons in physics the need to understand team work and uh how to truly support someone and accept their support and the concept of trust, right? 
like we joke about, like, no, you shouldn't trust your feet. You should learn how to use your feet. And, okay. and uh, that is going on a lot in climbing. Right. And, you know, maybe after you learn how to use your feet, you trust them. But like, don't trust, don't listen to someone who tells you, you just trust your feet. <laughs> Um, it's so, almost like it disembodies them. Yeah, right. right. It's like they exist somewhere else and they're not a part of you. Right, right? exactly. Um, so all of those things come together. Plus you add the aspect of group dynamics, living together and being out at the crag and being faced with these raw emotions of fear and like learning to challenge yourself. And it, it really can be transforming for mm-hmm. kids especially kids who either live in rural New Hampshire and Maine or in urban Boston and Maine and southern New Hampshire and don't get to experience nature. Mm-hmm. And we don't give the nature part of climbing enough credit either, I don't think. I think we just take it for granted. Yeah. Eh? You know, we yeah, just, it's like, sure. yeah, we're nature. Right. You know, but I think it's hard to, yeah, it's, that's an interesting idea. You're right, because you're so focused on this specific challenge and the air and the sun and the everything else is just there. Yeah. You know, but yeah. Like some of these kids are like truly intimidated by trees. Right. Yeah. And they have to work through that before learning to like tie in. I mean, I imagine uneven, it's weird to think about, but do they even experience uneven ground to walk over? Right. You know, Right. Kids who have grown up in a city. No. Yeah. It's like stairs and sidewalks. Right. Yeah. yeah that's pretty wild. I, I, again, until you just said that, I was like, wow, there's so much stuff that we just call normal. Yeah. If, you've, if you're 10 years old, 11, 12, and you don't have a lot of money, you may have never left pavement almost, right. you know, other right. than some grass in a park or something. Right. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So what about, uh, you know, your, this, was, uh, this was your pitch for... Uh, for kids, for mm-hmm. these urban kids, what it gives them. What about you? You, you? you know, we we drew this arc of, of the last 15 years yeah. or whatever um, from a competitive, you know, horseback competitor yeah. to now. Right. Yeah. What, what do you, I mean, you're an evangelist for it. Yeah, I well, still do am. Do you examine what's yeah, changed and, and it's given you specifically? Yeah, I think the, the places where, you know, I'm not the strongest climber I've ever been. I still love to push myself and, uh, and get out whenever I can and have adventures with my friends. Um, but I think where I've found involvement is that community building side of climbing to like both to keep myself involved, um, through building our gym or serving on the American Alpine club board or, um, or just like being part of our local mountain rescue service here. Mm -hmm. Um, so the community part is what really will always hold me here. Uh, it, I just really like climbers a lot. Um, and then the, like, I just don't like, like hiking. <laughs> and uh, I, I like going out in nature a lot, but like hiking and canoeing aren't that uh, fun and exciting and like don't like, you know, make me want to skip work. But you know like the, the go- Normacast has a term for hiking. What's that? The long approach to nowhere. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's how I feel about it, too. Um, so uh, and added to that as a mom now, I was out with Sarah Garlic. She's come up a few times now. She's a mom of two young kids and I have my two year old and and we uh, will go skip work and go, you know, this November we went rock climbing on one of our local crags for a beautiful sunny day and uh, loved not telling anyone and just being out there. And and lots of other mommies have to meet their friends for coffee because mm-hmm. they don't have that in common. And Sarah and I have this lifelong thing that we've done that feeds our nostalgia and gives us adventure and, like, we have the tools to go and do it. So how could we not, you know? Right. Right. That's pretty cool. So that's all community-based. It still keeps coming back to this luck, if not luck, uh, you know, some type of preordained notion of having met this woman in particular, Sarah, yeah. and a couple others that, yeah. like, you just keep coming back to. Totally. Um, and it 
just as interesting how, you know, I was trying to pry all this women climbing together thing out of you. And then it's just like, well, you know, it's these They're women. They're just my friends. It's like yeah. if, all women, <laughs> if all the women climbers of the world could come climb with yeah. you guys, it would all be solved. Exactly. Like, no problems, yeah, right? no problem. But nevertheless, you know, you mentioned that you, I'm going to do it again. Okay. Um, you mentioned how you had this notion and you had this when you were, again, dabbling and thinking about being a pro climber when you were 23, 24, yeah. that there was this door in um, yeah. because there was being a shift, I think, in the industry in terms of realizing that, you know, we have to have women representation because, I mean, the, the cynical part of it is that you, we're selling all these clothes to women. We're making women's clothes mm -hmm. and we need to have these women representing us. Mm -hmm. That's like the most basic part of it yeah and maybe there was notions about inclusion and trying to expand for all the good reasons too right right um so you saw this as a way in that's changed some mm -hmm. um what you know if, if you had uh this if you met a woman a, a girl young woman whatever on the doorway of those same sort of decisions how do i become this how do i shun and you know keep those voices that want me to just go nine to five out of my head. Cause that's a, that's a challenge for so many climbers, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's, and then there's also the, just the literal financial challenge of how do I make this all work? Yeah. But still have time to climb. You know, what could you, do you have advice for that mm -hmm. person that mm -hmm. would be modernized from, from even the way you looked at it? Yeah. Um, or is it, just advice for young climbers in general, whether they're guys or girls. Yeah. Um, well, I think I've kind of like had it out with Bisharat a little bit about this. Uh -huh. uh, he made, he wrote some blog posts about like women need to do more first ascents if they want to like make their way in the climbing world. I mean, I'm like over uh, exaggerating my summary of it, but uh, I think my advice for women in climbing or anywhere is screw the glass ceiling. Like we don't mm -hmm. need to be the first of anything anymore. Like this is a time when what matters more is inclusion and doing what really drives you and, and makes you feel whole. So mm -hmm. don't listen to what anyone else is telling you to do. Just live the life that, that you know is for you. And I think like on the professional in the in the professional climbing world in the professional anything world you're gonna uh feel like you're supposed to be boxed into something and that there's always something you're supposed to be doing and that goes for men or women and so in, since climbing and especially alpinism is pretty high risk make sure you're you're doing it for yourself and not to make money right or renown yeah or, or to yeah get recognition or whatever and then the last kind of question, because I, I blasted through it, is, yeah. is uh, a little bit about um, the choice uh, to cl to have a kid, yeah. have a, a, a daughter, yep. as it turned out, a daughter. Yeah. What do you think about that in terms of how it fits into your evolution as a as a climber? Because I just had, I mean, we have a similar aged uh, kids and and. You know, it, it changes a lot and it's a big decision if you've been living your life trip to trip or, mm -hmm. um, you know. So what about that decision? Uh, could you say about how that's how you've sort of met that decision, made it and, and what you're what you're sort of how you're taking care of it now? Yeah, it's a bit of a work in progress. I think um, if, if it isn't obvious from the conversation we've had so far, I'm like somewhat conservative by nature and. Uh, being a mom has probably made me more so in a lot of ways. In so terms of risk. In terms of risk and, yeah. uh, and just, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty content just to like garden and, and work when I work and like do little fun things here and there. And I really love climbing for the like adventure and uh, finding that other side of me to really go for it. I don't miss it now, but I think I could. So I think I think that's why it's a work in progress. I got to find out how to bring that back into my life more. Yeah. Well, these first couple of years, it's like it's not possible right. to think about it. It's so, pretty yeah. hard. Yeah. It's pretty hard. To <laughs> just 
I mean, why would you want to, to, to just yeah. disappear for a month or right. a month and a half? So, right. um, so you say you're kind of, you could see a horizon where, you know, it might start to be, uh, for sure. a, a concern to where your, your mental health and attitudes are starting to suffer without it a little bit. Yeah. You'll have to address it then. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, you know, it wouldn't be a total loss to not have climbing. Like I know I'm super privileged and I've had, I have amazing experiences to look back on. And, um, you know, if, if I choose a different direction, it's not the end of the world if I don't go on like expeditions or like year long road trips. But, but I do hope that'll be a part of my life still. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks to Janet and Freddie, for that matter, for letting me into their home. They couldn't have been sweeter and more uh, accommodating about doing those interviews. It was a real pleasure to be up there. Okay, in addition to my big sponsor rant at the beginning, you can also help support the Enormacast directly with your effort by going to enormacast.com and clicking on the Help Out tab. See what you can do. Write a review. We'll direct you over to iTunes like the Facebook page. Does that matter anymore? I don't know. Lots lots of stuff goes on over at the Facebook page, actually, that doesn't get on the show. A lot more debating and smart-ass comments. And or you can also donate to the show if you feel compelled to do so. And uh, keep this thing going. I appreciate it. And remember, folks, get out there. It is fun. Rock climbing is super fun. Summertime here. But it's only fun when everybody comes home safe. So please... Don't forget to check your knot. I think that I'll keep loving you way past 65. We made a language for us two We don't need to describe Every time you call on me I drop what I do You are my best friend And we've got some things to do